I want to spend about uh, 10 minutes or so giving you a little bit of background on the process and what we've been doing, and then people have copies of the report that we will distribute to everyone, and uh, at that point, I'm going to take the time to go through the report, and then as your pastor said, uh, when, uh, no, I'm, I'll be giving those out later, so everybody will get a copy. Uh, tomorrow at 7 o'clock, we're inviting you all back so you have time to look at this, think about it, pray about it, talk about it, and then ask any questions, make any comments you would like to make. So that's why we are doing that tomorrow, so that you have some time to process what's here. I like to remind people that every, almost every New Testament epistle was a church consultation. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but when Paul wrote to the Corinthians or Peter wrote, he said, you know, keep doing this, stop doing this, commend this person, tell this person to stop doing it. In fact, it was obvious that Paul did not take Dale Carnegie. He was pretty blunt at times, you know, but do that. Also, as you heard today, Jesus actually did seven consultations with seven churches. He commends them. He tells them to stop doing things, etc. So this is a process that's been going on since the church began. To me, I like to use a metaphor. It's like going to your physician for an annual checkup. And every year when I go for my checkup, the doctor runs all kinds of tests. And uh, she examines me, you know, looks ears, eyes, blood, all that kind of stuff. And then when she gets done, she says to me, here's where you're healthy. Now, I like to hear that. The problem is the older I get, the shorter that list becomes. Okay. <laughs> And then she says, here's where there is either disease or potential for disease. And the minute she tells me that, I say, what do I do about it? So two years ago, I sat down with the doctor and she said to me, I've been warning you, Paul, you're no longer pre-diabetic, you're diabetic. And uh, I said, what do I do? And she said, well... I'm going to give you six months, and here's what you do. And basically what you do, whatever you like to eat, stop it. (laughs) And whatever you don't like, eat it. So I know what kale tastes like at that point, okay? When I went back, she said, Paul, not only are you no longer diabetic, you're no longer pre-diabetic. Okay. Now, God did that. I understand that. But I had responsibilities. So the report I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you what I think are really the good things about the church. There's many things. I work a lot of churches. Many things here that have impressed me highly about your church that I don't always see in many other churches. So I'm going to talk about that. But I'm also going to tell you what I think the problems are. But then I will tell you what I believe are the prescriptions that you need to follow to address those problems and build on those strengths. And the good news is we have been seeing God take churches like yours that have been declined in for years and all of a sudden begin to turn around. We've seen it happen time after time. Now, only God grows the church. Okay. But God does give us human responsibilities. Okay. So that's what we want to do. Now, in order to give you some context about why I have said the things I've said in the report I want to share with you the three most basic assumptions I work on. Here's the first assumption. That which is healthy grows and reproduces. So one of our daughters has three girls at one time all under the age of six. 
She lives in Denver. We live in Sacramento. Whenever we'd communicate, and she said, I just this week took one of the infants to the pediatrician for a checkup. As a proud grandfather, I'd ask two questions. How much weight has the baby gained? And how many inches has the baby grown? Why do doctors weigh infants and measure infants? Because they realize that health, that growth is the best sign of health. Now, it's not foolproof. There are times that kids are growing a lot, but they need surgery. But if you have an infant that is not putting on weight, and you have an infant that is not growing in length, you have a very sick baby. And as I have said to church after church after church, and to when I functioned as a presbyter over our 220 churches, most of them died. Many of them, no more than 40, 50 people, even though at one time they'd been 600. I said, you got to realize, there is more disease in this church than there is health. doesn't mean everything you do is wrong. But there's some sickness that needs to be addressed. And the good news is we can show you how to address them. Now, the other piece of that I've come to learn, and the older I get, is that health is a choice. Okay, And the older I get, the more difficult the choices. I mean, everyone in this room probably, sometime in your life, on New, Year, or New Year's Eve, you made a resolution related to diet or exercise that was broken before February 1st. Because health is a choice, and the choices are difficult. You're going to see some difficult choices. But we have found that when churches follow these choices, make these choices, God often shows up. That's a, now, that also means not only is it healthy, but it reproduces. See, I've come to learn that we in our world describe maturity when somebody can reproduce. So when a teenager goes through puberty, no teenagers mature. Because we know that we've all been one. But when they go through puberty, we know they are moving toward physical maturity. The problem is we don't believe that in the church of Jesus Christ. We believe that maturity comes with tenure. I've been going to church for 30 years. I'm mature. I've been on the session four times. I'm mature. I've been in an adult Bible fellowship for 20 years. If you've been in an adult Bible fellowship for 20 years and you've never helped reproduce a new Christian, you're not mature. You're probably spiritually constipated. Uh, really, you I mean, think about it at that point. And so the question is, how do you reproduce? And very little reproduction is happening in this congregation. Okay. Second assumption you heard in the sermon. That Jesus did not create the church for Christians. He created the church to mobilize Christians to reach people who aren't Christians yet. Matthew 16, I will build my church. Why? So the gates of hell will not win. He didn't say, I'm going to build my church so you can gather on Sunday for awesome worship. And you have really good worship at times. He didn't say, I'm going to build my church so you can gather on Sunday and hear the word of God preached well. Heard a lot, you know, the word of God is expounded here constantly. He didn't say, I'm going to build my church so you can Come on Sunday and see all of your friends. So I told the session, I have yet to meet the second friendliest church in town. Every church I meet tells me it's the friendliest church in town. By the way, if friendliness grew churches, our other churches ought to be booming. Now, that doesn't mean you want to be a hostile church, so don't hear that. Okay. Now, is worship important? Yes. Is the preaching and teaching the word important? Yes. 
Is fellowship important? Yes. But Jesus said, I am, these things are to be done in such a way that more and more people become new disciples of Jesus. And the problem, we have taken those things and consumed them on ourselves rather than sharing them with others. And so that's one of the assumptions behind this. Third assumption. The gospel of Jesus Christ never changes. For 21 centuries, the only way women and men have ever gotten to God is through Jesus Christ. That does not change. But the church must change constantly. In Acts 2, when the church is formed, they meet every day of the week. By Acts 20, they're meeting one day a week at night in homes. Remember when Paul preaches and Eutychus falls asleep and falls out the window? Paul was the first boring preacher. Okay, put Eutychus to sleep. Okay. When the church grew the most in history, the first 300 years of the church, most, they never met in buildings. If they did, they met in homes. And then if it got big, they had to either meet outside or break up and meet in other homes. They didn't have church buildings. And they generally met at night. Because most Christians were slaves. And if you're a slave, you don't say the slave master, it's 9 o'clock, I have to go to church. Slave master says, no, you go to church on your time. My time is from the time the sun comes up to the sun goes down. And so they met at night. Uh, when I got to our churches in California, which in the 50s and 60s had been quite large, and when we got there, out of 220 congregations, the average size worship service was 100 people. So I'd go into a church that used to be five, six, seven hundred. There'd be 50, 60 people. Average age would be in the 70s. No children, no teenagers. And their vision was, we hope the church remains viable enough that we can have our funeral here. And here's what I said to them. I said, if 1955 comes back, you're ready. (laughs) Some of our churches still had green shag carpet. Old couches don't die. They crawl away to youth rooms. (laughs) You know. Now, why must the church change constantly? Because the culture is changing constantly. And our job is to take the unchangeable gospel and communicate it to an ever-changing culture. I don't have to tell you that in the time this church has been here, the culture of College Hill has changed a number of times. And you can no longer reach the culture like you did 30 years ago or 50 years ago or 70 years ago. And so many things we're going to talk about is to say, how can you be who you are? Now, I want to say one more thing, and then we're going to look at the report. One of the reasons why I was looking forward to your church is I discovered in the process that in 2010, your session voted. So in a Presbyterian church, the church decided, because the session makes the decisions, decided that this is going to be a multicultural church reaching multicultural community. And you need to know from my perspective, that puts you closer to God than most churches. Because I'm convinced that most churches of different ethnicities say, we're going to reach ours, but we're not going to be multicultural. And you have decided that since this is where God has now planted you, that you're going to work out what it means to reach this community. And one of the things I've encouraged is at least 
as I've talked to almost everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody, many of you are delighted to be a multicultural church. Now, one of the things I've heard consistently is, it's not easy to go to church here. And I want to say, amen. God did not create the church to be a place of comfort. Okay, I mean, you realize, he says to the shepherds who run the church, which are the session and your staff, you're to take care of the flock. Why did shepherds have sheep? Well, if you're a wise shepherd in Jesus' day, you take sheep into green pastures, which they like. You take them by still water, so you don't want them to drown, which protects them. But you don't do that just to have them in green pastures and still water. You do that so you take their wool. Now, I've been in Australia enough to know sheep don't like that. You take their meat, which is kind of total commitment. Okay. You tell them to reproduce. I go to church and say, we can't go to multiple services. I won't know everybody. And I feel like saying, I've met you. Maybe it's good if people don't know you. Okay. I'm glad this church is hard. Because most Christians in America are looking for a church that's easy. And that's why the church is dying. Because it's for us. Okay. Now, having said that, what I've discovered is a high level of frustration. That we're trying to do what we believe Jesus calls us to do. And I want to say amen to that. But we're not seeing what we would like to see. And this report is designed to say, here's a way I think, because I've seen it work in other churches, that you can begin to see much more fruit for the decisions you have made. So if the people who have the reports would distribute them now, just as you walk around, they're going to give it to you in stacks of five. Just pass them on. If you have extra, pass them back. Just just give them a stack and let everybody, so we can get them out as quickly as possible. Even if there's two people there, just give them a stack and let them pass them back. Uh, we Are they all? We, we have all, thanks. We have all the... Uh, we need the front part of this section over here needs a bunch of reports. Okay. If you don't have one yet, raise your hand so everybody uh, the pay, they can see where where they need to go. Okay. All right. Okay, I'm going to start. The first is I want to share with you what I believe are the key strengths of your church. Your church has more strengths than this, but what I believe are the key strengths of your church. Number one, a multicultural community of faith. This congregation is to be commended for accepting the responsibility to minister with effectiveness in the multicultural community in which they have been planted by God. Most churches run from that. You have said we're going to be here and do it. And I think that is awesome. Number two, the Word of God. The congregation and its leaders are committed to honoring the Bible as God's authoritative word to humans and developing a theology consistent with that stance. And that's part of the reason why you decided to make that commitment to join ECO, because of God's authority and your commitment to it. Number three, obedience to the great commandment. The congregation is living out kingdom behaviors in how they are loving their neighbors consistently. One of the reasons why I was looking forward to come here is you're about as close to a Salvation Army church I can get. 
If anybody's doing the great commandment, it's Salvation Army. And the number of people here who are out doing all kinds of things, folks, thank you for being kingdom-minded. Number four, prayer. CHPC is a praying congregation who seek God individually and in groups. Prayer is a consistent behavior practiced by many. Service. There are numerous servant avenues, numerous avenues of service for people to choose in both serving the body of Christ and serving various constituencies in the community. And again, you are rare for many churches I work with and I want to commend you. Number six, resources. God has blessed this congregation with an abundance of resources. People. Now let me talk about that. The average size church in the United States today on a weekend is between 75 and 125 people in worship. You're averaging about 275, 85. Now I know there was a day when there were many more people here, but compared to most churches, you have far more people than most churches. Okay? Finances. You are awesome in terms of the giving and what's here. No debt. Location. It is easy to get here. Visibility. Facilities and generous givers. You give probably per giving unit about $1,500 a year more than most churches do per giving unit. You need to be commended. Now, concerns. Disobedience to the Great Commission. The congregation is not intentional about fulfilling the Great Commission and each year few people are becoming new disciples. There's only one command in the Great Commission, make disciples. That means introducing people to Jesus, helping those people develop, and then getting those people to reproduce. That's a disciple of Jesus. And you, like most churches, only spend the middle part, which is developing disciples, not making new disciples or getting the disciples here to reproduce. Number two, mission and vision. There is no clear mission of the congregation that fits the teaching of the New Testament. And the vision often does not impact decisions in how the congregation functions. And again, most churches have vision statements, vision statements, and it's just wording on paper. Okay. Number three, no clear focus. There is no clear focus on whom God is calling this congregation to reach and no strategy for then reaching all segments of the community. You're just kind of doing a shotgun approach to say we hope something happens. And there needs to be a strategy. Number four, key ministry areas. The key ministry areas that produce growth and reproduction are not being addressed adequately. And number five, structure. The current governance structure of the congregation does not marry responsibility, authority, and accountability and often hinders the mission and vision. Now, you have more concerns than this, but you can't deal with all of them. So I want to list the top five. So what I've done now is I've taken each one of these concerns and I've written a prescription. To consistently and regularly make new disciples for Jesus. Leaders will pray for themselves, other believers, and the congregation collectively asking God to forgive them for this disobedience. At some point, the congregation will get on their knees and pray for forgiveness. 
Prayers will also be offered asking God to give the people of the congregation hearts that are broken for those who do not know Jesus Christ. People will also pray that God will know or will get to know. Following this worship service of prayer, the congregation will form groups to prayer walk and prayer drive the community. Following this, all will return to church facility to share a common meal during which people will share what God showed them as they prayed. Then all will take communion together. This day will occur by November 10, 2019. Now, here's the concept, folks. If you are disobeying the command, because it's not happening. you may I, I think many of you want to obey the command, but it's not happening. And my mother said, you know, when I said, don't discipline me, I love you. Her response was, if you love me, you do what I say. Okay, so it's not happening. That's your biggest... This is the most important prescription of them all, from my perspective. But when you come to Jesus and say, forgive me, what does Jesus do? He forgives. And I have found that when congregations are willing to come and say, Jesus, we're doing a lot of good things for you. But we're not doing the main thing, which you have commanded us to do. Will you forgive us? About three years ago, I was working with a multicultural congregation in Queens, New York. When I got there, by the way, this church back in the 50s and 60s, in that denomination was known as one of the top churches. In fact, the pastor during the 50s and 60s actually had a half-hour Bible study on WOR in New York, which at that time was what they call a flamethrower radio station, had all the power, okay? And everybody knew about this church. The church was growing. When I got there, here's what the session said to me. It wasn't Presbyterian, but the board. They said, we have watched every church in our denomination from Manhattan out to Queens die. They've died one after another. And we assume we're next. Do you think God can do something? I said, yeah. Now, where they were located, this was Queen, so people all over the place. On this side of the church, it was all African-American. On this side of the church, it was all Indian. You know, point, not feather. Okay, I mean, people from India. Okay. And on that side of the church was all white. So when they said, we're going to try this, and we're going to do the day of prayer, one of the elders said to the pastor, I think we need to do this, but I'm not doing it. And the pastor said, yes, you are. He said, all right, I'm going to go over here where all the white people are. He said, no, you're not. He said, you're going to cross the street where all the Indian people are. And he, he was really blind. He said, I don't, I don't like the Indian people. He said, that's why you're going there. So they prayed. They got on their knees and they said, God, would you forgive us? And then they broke up into groups. They didn't have to drive at all. Everybody was walking. And so this man's leading a group of people down the street, literally across the street from the church. There's restaurants and businesses, and they're stopping in front of each one and praying for them. They go around the corner and get to about the fourth house or fourth door to restaurant. And they're praying. It's about 11 o'clock because they had an early service. The owner comes out and says, what are you doing? 
He said, well, you, you can see the church up there. That's our church. We're here praying for you. The man said, really? He said, yeah. Why? He said, well, we want, we want to show God's love to the community. We're praying for you. And the man said, you're doing that for me? He said, yeah. So he goes back and he shuts the door and he begins to lock it. He said, what are you, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm Indian. He said, half our community is Hindu, the other half is Sikh, and I'm neither, and I get persecuted by both groups. And so since you've come to pray for me, I'm going back to church with you. And he went with the Reverend while they prayed the rest, and then went back to church, and today is a believer. That church has almost doubled in size. People coming from all places, they're coming to Jesus because their hearts were broken for the community. Now, beginning in November through the end of December, the community hour will be used for training in evangelism. The training will be based upon two books, The Contagious Church by Mark Middleberg and The Gospel Without Additives by Jim Henderson. The the book by Middleberg actually teaches Christians again to learn how to invite people to church. The number one reason why people come to church is because they're invited. And most of us don't even know how to invite people. And we say, well, I've invited these people, they didn't come. Part of it's because we don't know how. We also find that people don't know how to do evangelism. I was in working with a Nazarene church in Missouri about three years ago. And in Carthage, Missouri, there's a church of about 350. And uh, every time I've been out to a meal with a pastor, we've actually had a breakfast meal at one time, a lunch and a dinner, every time with a pastor. When we sit down and the wait person comes over, he says to, he says to the wait person, uh, by the way, my name's so-and-so, I'm the pastor of this church. He said, when you bring me my food, as is my custom, I'm going to pray for it. When I pray, is there anything I can pray for you for? And I have been amazed every time, no matter how busy that wait person is. They said, oh, well, would you pray for this? Would you pray for this? Would you pray for this? So... I found out that if you're on the board of that church, if you go to a restaurant and you don't do that, you can't be on the board of the church. So I said to him one day, I said, why are you, how, what happens when you do this? He said, Paul, every second, fifth, eighth time I do it, as I leave the restaurant, that wait person comes over and says, thanks for praying. I'm having some problems in life. Can we meet and talk? He says, and that's when I sit down and share the gospel with him. So I was in North Carolina uh, two years ago, church about four or five hundred, doing a weekend like this. And I told this on a Saturday. So Sunday morning, I got to church before the, the service started. And a staff member said, Paul, stand here, don't move. And he went across the room, and there's a bunch of people there, you know, before the service starts, having coffee, just talking. And he grabs this older guy by the arm, and he brings him over, and he says, tell Paul what happened this morning. And the man said, Paul, he said, you know, I'm just a lay person, but I come here early all the time to help pastors get ready for the service, whatever I can do, move chairs, whatever, I'm happy to do it. He said, so every Sunday morning, the church was kind of out in the country, he said, two miles down, there's a convenience store, and I stop there for coffee because their coffee is better than the church coffee. <laughs> and he said, I went in there this morning, nobody's in there except two women behind the counter, get my coffee, I get in, in my car, and I'm ready to put the key in the ignition. And I thought of your story. So I went back in. One lady was kind of in the back. The other was at the counter. And he said, I don't know if you remember me. But uh, I stop here every Sunday for coffee. I'm on my way to that big church down there. 
Um, when I go to church this morning, is there anything I can pray for you for? And the lady said, no. And the other lady said, what'd you say? And he told her, she said, oh, yeah. Would you pray for this? And would you pray for this? And would you pray for this? And the other lady said, well, if you're going to pray for her, pray for me. (laughs) And he had the biggest smile on his face. Because he knew the next Sunday when he walked in there, he'd already begun to establish a relationship where he could develop that conversation eventually to share the good news with people. And so people need to be trained in that. And I hope at that November, December, your, that community hour is packed with people saying, how do we do this? The second Sunday in January, there will be one worship service for eight weeks. After these eight weeks, the congregation will go back to two services. This service will meet from 10 to 11.15 and be held in the fellowship hall, not in here. The purpose of the service will be to conduct an alpha experience for the congregation and for any guests they invite. The pastor will be coached through the October training and the alpha experience by Gilbert Foster. His cost for doing this is $300. The pastor will then conduct an alpha course sometime in 2020 for the community on another day of the week. Now, every time I do this, I have people say, oh, I did alpha eight years ago. So I say to them. So I assume you're sharing the gospel and bringing people to church all the time. No. Well, you probably need Alpha again. That's the whole point. It's not for you to learn something in a sense of content. It's like, how, how do I reach out to people? Now, let me say something. Jesus said that we were to be fishers of men. Today we would say men and women. Okay. Fishing is a metaphor. So when you think of fishing, what kind of fishing do you think about? Well, I find most people today think of rod and reel fishing. You know, I'm standing by a lake or by the beach, and I'm casting this rod. When Jesus said to the disciples, be fishers of men, what kind of fishing did they think about? Net fishing. By the way, net fishing you do together. You catch more fish with nets than you do with rod and reel. The only way you catch more fish is with dynamite. Okay. Alpha. The reason we're doing this is, number one, To raise the main thing, that's why you're doing it Sunday morning, to raise the main thing is the main thing. And to give you all a net fishing experience. So you can invite friends and watch your pastor, whoever the leader is that week for Alpha, do the fishing. That's the purpose of it, okay? Beginning April 1, 2020, all full-time staff members and session members will set goals for the number of people they will individually invite to church each month and the number of times they will give a gospel presentation each month. They will also set goals for inviting people to future Alpha courses. Also, each of these individuals will select one person in the congregation to mentor in the behaviors of inviting people to church and sharing their faith. The report of how God uses these encounters will be shared at the annual meeting of the congregation in 2020. In other words, if your leaders don't do it, The congregation's not going to do it. And so that's the point. And by the way, at least many of your session members have already said, we like this. Now, we're scared. We don't know what to do. But we're willing to lead. Okay. This fall, the pastor will begin to mobilize all prayer groups, because you're known for prayer, to focus their prayers on God, bringing people to himself through the evangelistic efforts beginning in 2020. 
God grows the church. It's not by might or power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And this fall is the time to start praying, God, in 2020, we want to see a harvest. Because I'm convinced if you begin to make the Great Commission the priority, you're going to see God move in this church in ways that he hasn't moved in a long time. Okay? Number two, mission and vision. On the day this report is accepted by the session, should that be the case, the mission statement of the congregation will be, CHPC exists to honor God by making disciples of Jesus Christ from all ethnicities. Okay, we're, we're multicultural. Hopefully that doesn't diminish, that gets stronger. But the mission is not to be multicultural. The mission is to be a multicultural church that makes disciples. Okay. The new vision statement will be a heart for the city. Also, the congregation will continue to use the tagline, a church without walls. Now, how do you make that reality? Number one, the mission statement requires the leaders of the congregation to conduct a mission ministry audit of every ministry that claims to be part of the church. Each ministry must demonstrate how they intentionally work at making new disciples each year. Those that are unable to do so must either change the ministry so they do or understand that such ministries will no longer be supported in any way by the congregation. This audit will be conducted and finished in 2020. So you go through every ministry of the church and say to that ministry, how are you making disciples? Because right now almost every ministry of the church does not focus on making disciples. Every ministry of the church for the most part that's for the body focuses on the Christian. So I was working with a church just a little bit bigger than yours about five years ago. They said, we want to grow. I said, okay, you got to do the audit. Well, they had a women's ministry. The women would do 10 things a year, one every month, and take two months off in the summer. And when the ministry met, 30 to 50 women would show up. Well, when they examined who shows up, it was women from the church or other women from the community. The women's ministry was not helping make new disciples for Jesus Christ. And so the women said, we want to be part of the mission. So here's the change they made. They said three times a year, once in the fall, once in the winter, once in the spring, our event is going to be a banquet. We are going to put on the best spread that we can, even with tablecloths and real silverware. Okay. Uh, this is not your typical church potluck with a lime jello with a pear in the bottom. <laughs> and the green bean casserole. And the deviled eggs that pastors never get to eat because we're at the end of the line. Not that I'm bitter. Okay, I just want to throw that. that way. And we're going to sell tickets to the banquet. Now, the purpose of the tickets is not to cover the cost of the banquet because the tickets will be quite inexpensive. The purpose of the tickets is when you go to one of the women in the church to buy a ticket to go to the banquet because you need a ticket to get in, you cannot buy one ticket. You must buy two tickets and give that lady the name of the unchurched lady friend you've invited to come with you. Because when the meal is over, we're going to ask a lady from our church or a guest speaker to talk about her faith relationship with Jesus and maybe invite women there to follow Jesus just as she has decided to follow Jesus. So what they were saying is seven times a year, the ministry's for us. Three times a year, it's not for us. It's to do the Great Commission. Okay, Presbyterian Church had been 500. It's down to 60 people, average age in the 70s. They said, can we grow? I said, well, you're going to get serious about the Great Commission? So they did an audit. They still had two adult Sunday school classes left. 
When they did the audit of the first class, the class had been meeting for 65 years. When it started, it had been called the young marriage class. (laughs) And it had 80 people in it. The class at that time had 10 people ages 75 to 85. This class hadn't made a new disciple for Jesus in years. So they said to these seniors, what are you going to do? And the seniors said, we want to be part of the mission. Now, physically, we're often incapable of even getting to church on our own. People pick us up, take us home. So we can't be like the women's ministry. But every Sunday, as other ministries are networking with unbelievers, if you will give us their names, we will pray for them individually, prime time in our class, that the Spirit of God will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment and bring them to himself. Most of our prayers in church are to keep people out of heaven. We keep asking God to heal them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But seldom in church do we pray for the salvation of lost people. Okay? Also, the leaders must conduct two large events by the end of 2020 that help the congregation target the segment of the community that is the strategic focus of their growth initiative. And this will come clear a little bit later, but we gave training to the session for this. The vision requires the leaders to establish two faith goals for 2020 to 225 for five years. The first goal is the number of actual gospel presentations made throughout these five years. Do you want to have... 50 gospel presentations, you want to have 100 gospel presentations. I'm now working with a mega church, church of about 4,500 people on a Sunday in about seven services and three campuses. And they said, we're not here just to serve the Christians. And their vision is that in seven years, there will be 700,000 gospel presentations made by the congregation in the city and overseas. They're keeping track. And three years in, they're now at 350,000 gospel presentations. And every Sunday, the number changes as you walk into church. In fact, it's so successful, the pastor says, we're going to a million gospel presentations. Because we want to see people come to Jesus. The second is the number of people the congregation will touch with the love of Jesus during the same period of time. I don't know if you ever thought about it. But folks, with the way you do ministry... And the way you reach out to the community, do you realize in the last 12 months you probably have touched over 2,000 people? I don't know about you, that ought to encourage you. That a group this small can have that much influence. Well, God, give us more influence. Because as you touch people with God's love, you then open up doors to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Number three, no clear focus. The leaders talk about being a multicultural congregation that reflects the community in which it is located. However, this community contains a number of different groups divided to some degree by both ethnicity and economics. Because of the years of decline, the congregation has less and less resources to reach this variety of people groups. Also during that decline, the community has been changing drastically. Therefore, there needs to be a well-articulated strategy to reach the groups with whom the congregation has some track record of reaching already. The primary task of staff members is to fulfill this task. Then as these groups are reached, the leaders need to strategize how to reach the other people groups that demand greater congregational resources in fulfilling the mission. The current staff members need to become mission assets that build the home base. That's the people who are showing up and becoming an integral part of your church every weekend. 
which is a growing, reproducing congregation. If the ministries they lead continue to decline, they cannot stay on staff, whether it's full-time, part-time, or volunteer. However, it is not their job to reach the various people groups in the community. The reaching of the community and its various people groups is the responsibility of the people who become part of the congregation as a result of the staff's role in building the congregation. God will use the staff to grow the body with individuals, much like those who are already here. The more people who regularly attend, the more people groups these new Christians can target, which enables the congregation to fulfill its mission and vision. So I gave a lot more explanation to this to the session, but what I'm saying is there needs to be a targeted strategy of how do we build what I call the principle of people here who, when they come here, they have spiritual resources, they have financial resources, they have educational resources. Now, people of all races, so that those who have not been blessed, you now have more and more people to reach the people that have not benefited from the blessings of God in their life. Right now, it's more of a shotgun approach, and as a result, the church is declining. As the church declines, you have less and less resources. And by the way, the number one resource is people, not money. It's people. And you have less and less people to reach more and more people, and that has to change. That's what we're talking about. Number four, three key ministry areas. The three key ministry areas that produce reproductive growth in our culture today are weekend worship, the connection of new people, and ministry to children. The way these ministry areas today are being conducted in the congregation is working against growth rather than producing growth. Weekend worship. First, the seating for both services need to be uh, need to be limited to the middle section with the, where the pews are located. So, those of you who are right now in front of me, okay, the stair, the chairs on both sides of the auditorium need to be removed, and the pews on this side need to be covered up so people can't sit there. Now, let me talk about this. You, we live in a culture. This is. If we're going to reach the culture, we, I don't care whether you're white, whether you're black, Hispanic, we live in a culture that if you go into a meeting or a place, a venue that is less than 50% full, you say that place is empty. So if because of weather only 25,000 people show up at a Bengals game, you say nobody was there. If there's at least 80% people there, you say there's full. So every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, because you're scattered where people can't see anybody, if a guest walks in, they say, this is not a going concern. And you want guests to stay. Okay. So you're no longer that large church with multiple services. Hopefully the day comes when you go back to all these places being full. But right now, I mean, today when I look at it, hey, man, this is this is awesome. Or if I look here, it's awesome. It'd be even more awesomer, if I could say that, if you all in front. So that's why we're saying that, so that it helps give you some momentum that you don't have as a church. Both services need to be structured in such a way that they produce a sense of awe and worship for God, which requires more planning and consistent inflation than occurs now. Now, hear me well. I heard, I've heard a lot of good things, and today you demonstrate great choir, great worship, you sing well, etc. But it's how do you take those parts 
and put them together with planning in a way that increases the excellence and the effectiveness of the service. And that's what need, that's what we're talking about. Both services need to be overseen and led by people who know and understand worship. This uh, need is true at both services. The pastor needs to be both the producer and the director, and where he is not knowledgeable in what to do, he understands it is his responsibility to find those who will help him make the services consistently excellent week after week. If you're going to start to reach unchurched, dechurched, semi-churched people, their first experience with your church, for the most part, is probably what happens on Sunday morning. And that service has to be run not only with the Christian in mind, but the person who comes. How do we treat company? And most churches don't even think about company. And so that's what we're trying to say needs to happen. The first service needs to be for one hour and no longer. The second service will be an hour and ten minutes. Also, the choir at 9 a.m. service will sit in the worship center during the sermon. Number one, that means they're not behind the preacher, which is a preacher. I don't want anybody behind me. And number two, it helps you then fill out the congregation. Uh, this new way of functioning needs to occur by January 1, 2020. Also, the decor of the facilities needs to become more open in appearance to various ethnicities. As a multicultural church, you say that, you practice it, but your architecture and decor do not reflect it. Okay, this is a white church by decor. It needs to be a multicultural church by decor. That's a whole different ballgame. Because this speaks volumes, the decor, in any church. Okay, Most churches are designed, look like my grandmother's living room. Just want you to know that. Okay, And that's why younger people don't come, in part, because of the decor. We may say they ought to come, and the, is, the answer is, yeah, they ought to, but they don't. The connection of new people to the congregation requires mass customization of systems to help people connect. The pastor needs to find a key person or persons who will put together a team to make this happen. That team and the staff need to read the book Fusion by Nelson Searcy immediately. The pastor and a group of at least 10 to 15 people need to attend an eco-training in Cobleskill, New York, the weekend before Thanksgiving to be trained and observe how a congregation in a small town is now running about 450 in worship because they have learned to keep close to 80% of their first-time guests. Many of these guests who attend as non-Christians are now brand-new disciples of Jesus Christ. The initial phase of this strategy is to be placed by January 1, 2020. By the way, let me go back and say, I am not saying your decor looks bad. Your decor is awesome. So that's not the point, so don't get that out of it. Now, every church says it's the friendliest church in town. But here's the issue. When people come to church who are new, particularly if they're unchurched, they're not looking for a friendly church. They assume you'll be friendly. It's like when my son was five and said, Dad, can I have an allowance for brushing my teeth? I said, no, that's something you do. You should be friendly. Okay. But people are looking for friends. And the reason why churches decline is because we don't know how to help people make friends. And by the way, those of you who have been here for a long time, you can't make new friends. You have all the friends you can handle. So how do you help new people make friends? You help them connect with people who are recently new, who still have room for friends. And that's, that takes hard work, but when churches solve that issue, they begin to help the church grow. 
Ministry to children. We live in a day where children rule. If a child wants to be someplace, the parents will get them there, and since the, the adults are helicopter parents, they will stay and hover. Also today, most adults, particularly those who are not longtime Christians or not Christians at all, will not give you two hours on Sunday morning. They're not going to come at 10 o'clock and stay for 11, or they're not going to come at 9 o'clock and stay for 10. Okay. Therefore, in January, the new Sunday a.m. schedule will be, if this report is adopted, a service from 9 to 10 and a service from 10.30 to 11.40. In other words, you will not have the community hour. Children ages K through 5th grade will not be in the 10.30 worship service or if they're no longer than 10 minutes. The new children's ministry must be one that is so exciting that children who attend go to school and brag about it. Because if they do, other children will want to come and their parents will get them there. Again, this new way of functioning will begin January 1, 2020. Adults who like their group experience at the current 10 a.m. can still meet from 10.30 to 11.40. Or if they come the late one, they can still do that at 9 o'clock. You have room to do that. Best way to illustrate this is to give you a story. Less than five years ago. I'm working with a congregation 20 miles south of the Canadian border on the edge of the Adirondack Mountains. The church was built in the 1840s. In fact, the church was part of the Underground Railroad helping slaves get into Canada. When the church was built, there was a town there. When the consultation was done four years ago, there was no town there. All that was there were the church buildings, all of them built in the 1800s. So trustees, just thank God you're not there. Two broken down barns and nothing. Church is out in the middle of nowhere. The congregation had 20 people on a Sunday. Average age was 75. That's average. So many of them were 80 or older. A few were younger. No children. No teen. The new pastor was there, had a child. They did have one child. Excuse me. Okay. New pastor. And we did the weekend to determine whether the church would live or die. Well, the people said, we don't want to die. I said, all right. Then we're, I mean, if you don't change, you're going to die anyway. I mean, you're not that far away. Okay. I'm, look, I'm 75. I understand. I'm, I'm almost ready to meet Jesus, which is why I'm getting nicer to my kids. Since you know that, that's why I'm there. Okay. Uh, and so we told them to do three things. I'm only going to tell you the third thing they did. There was a McDonald's about 35 miles away that was renovating. They went to this McDonald's and they said, you have something we want. We don't have a lot of money to buy it. But they bought it. So now if you visit that church and say you're a young couple with a seven-year-old child and you walk in, all that's there is a foyer that is nothing much more than an extended cloakroom. And the worship service only seats 80. At the foyer... Or the, there's this little narrow desk with a big sign that says, register your child. Because in this day and age, if you aren't concerned about child safety, people aren't going to leave their child with you. So you register your child. You say, by the way, uh, where's my child go? They say, you see that big round hole in the wall? That's the slide to the basement. That's what they bought from McDonald's. And the kids go to children's ministry down the slide. In one year, folks, one year, in the middle of nowhere, this church was averaging 70 people. They had seen 12 people come to Jesus. 
They had young families and children there because it was known in the county as the church with the slide. And if children want to get there, the parents will get them there and they'll hover. Your children's ministry is not attracting other children. Now, the good news is you've got a leader now who knows how to do this. But it means you've got to make it happen in a way that causes this to cause the church to grow. Number five, real quickly. The current structure of the congregation is not conducive for the accomplishment of the new mission vision since it does not marry responsibility, authority, and accountability. ECO, the denomination to which the congregation belongs, understands this, which is why they are encouraging congregations to move to an accountable model of leadership. Therefore, the pastor will lead the staff through the book Winning on Purpose by John Kaiser during January and March of 2020. Following Easter, the pastor will lead the session through the book and have that task completed by June 30th, 2020. In September, at the start of the new fiscal year, the leadership will begin a one-year experiment of working out the principles articulated in this book. In September of 2021, this model of governance will be adopted. So I'm not going to go into that. I don't have time, but this is down the road. And, and if I would encourage you, if you're interested to see what I'm talking about, go on Amazon and get the book Winning on Purpose. Okay? It's a reflection of what nonprofits are doing all across the country anyway. However, beginning January 1, 2020, the pastor will hold the staff, will have the staff establish specific measurable goals for which he will hold them accountable by August 3rd, 2020. These goals will include the number of gospel presentations, how many are they going to make and how many are going to be made in their ministry, the development of leaders, because if you don't develop leaders, the ministry won't grow, and growth in the ministries for which they are responsible. If the ministry doesn't grow, they can't stay. Now, I want you to notice the note that's here. This is crucial. To implement these prescriptions will probably require the leaders to create the equivalent of two full-time administrative positions for two years, to implement the new connection ministry, aid the growing children's ministry, and take on many administrative tasks now being done by your financial HR person, etc. If This is a two-year experiment, and you have made... Enough cuts in staff that you're, if there's not the support, this is an Acts 6 kind of set, where the, the apostle said, we cannot focus on waiting in the tables, but we've got to have, it's got to be done, we've got to get people to do it. That needs to happen. Now, I said equivalent. That may be six part-time people. Some of them may be volunteers. Money needs, ne- money need to be found, raised, or, vol- or volunteers recruited to make this happen, along with other requirements stated in the prescriptions. However, if there is no significant growth in two years, most or all of the current paid staff should probably not be allowed to maintain their current positions of leadership. Now, you need to know. On Friday night, your pastor saw this report. I said, can I leave that in there? And he said, yes. So your pastor is willing and concerned enough to say, we got to do this and see the church grow to put his job on the line. Okay? All right. By the way, as much as I've come to learn, living a life of faith really is all about risk. And your pastor is willing to model it. Big print. Those who attend the congregations regularly will vote their opinion of whether this report and its prescription should or should not be adopted. This vote will occur by October 27, 2019. 
Following this opinion poll, the session will vote to accept or reject the report and its prescriptions also by October 27, 2019. If accepted, ECO, that's your denomination, will make available a congregational coach for 12 to 18 months to work with the pastor in session. I already know who that coach is, and you have one of the best persons you could have to coach your pastor and your session in how to do all of this. They've already assigned that coach if you do it. If rejected, the process is over since the session will have spoken. Working with congregations is like herding cats. Nobody's ever owned a cat. You may have leased one. But cats are going to do what cats want to do. Okay? Folks, the choice is up to you. But I'm convinced if you do it, in a few short years, you can be an awesome, growing, reproducing, multicultural congregation that's changing College Hill. Now, the biggest change in all of this, if you decide to do this, is going to be with your pastor. So the last thing I'm going to do before we close in prayer, I've asked Drew to come and share with you his reflection on this report. Um, Well, first, I want to thank the session for um, doing this, for engaging us in this process. And thank you, Paul, very much. Um, I think it's really part of God's humor that your name is Paul. (laughs) Because I think I sort of get a sense now. What did the churches feel like when they got a letter from Paul? You know? Ah, cool. Paul wrote. Cool. Let's go read it. Ooh, ow, great. Oh, oh man. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. You know? Glad then they didn't have mimeograph and email that it took a lot. You had to kill a cow, you know, to, to write a letter or something. Um, uh, and so I think that's what it is, but that's, what you've said today, that's what the Christian life is. And it's why when we gather together, we confess our sins. It's not a nice thing to do. It's because we're sinners. It's because we're broken. It's because we need one another. What do we say regularly? That we, we come to encourage and challenge one another. And we need that. And there's times when we and I get insulated And you get used to where you are and you need outside voices to come. And that's what the prophets were. Is your middle name Amos? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's. um, And and so for me, I mean, this is part of the Christian life. And uh, this kind of honesty with one another and with and with God. So um, it's what we were praying for. I mean, I believe what, what Paul says, a lot of it resonated with you. You're like, yeah, there's good stuff. There's stuff that's unique here that, that we're seeking to, to follow. We're seeking to be a church without walls. And we're even doing things, you know, that God's leading us to break down, uh, to build bridges where, he, where the, the cross is torn down the walls. We're trying to build bridges across race and economics. And it's not easy. But there's, a, that's a, there's an element of the kingdom that we see and we taste. And we're like, man, we want to... Want other people to join, and we want this to be sustainable. We want we want this to go beyond, and and we look at those trends in the last I've shared the last couple of Sundays, the last twenty five years. You know, it's never gone up. Or one one two one or two years, one or two. You know, but as I don't think you said it today, but you know that's like saying we're the tallest midget in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for that laugh. Um, uh, so anyway, but that's, you know, so that's what we were praying for. Man, what do, 
how do we do this? How do I do How do I lead in this? And I think God has answered our prayer with this. Um, and this is what, there's some things we celebrate that he said at the beginning, man, and we celebrate and we feed those, but there's other things that are broken and they need medical attention. You know, uh, you know, it's like saying, I mean, I heard, you know, hey, your arms, they're working really well. You know, keep feeding them, keep working, do the curls, do the bent, you know, do the overhead, do the smile, keep doing those, but your legs are broken and you need serious, immediate medical attention. Get, those things need to get set. They need to get put where they need to get so that then the whole body can be walking and growing together. And as I look back from my perspective, 15 years ago, the missional action teams put in place the Jubilee community. And when I interviewed with this church, I talk, got with that team. I said, are you serious about this? Do you know what this is going to take? And they all said yes. They, they had no clue. Because I didn't even have a clue. I mean, I knew what some of the things were. But do you know what this means? To be a jubilee community like you're, you're talking about here? And then the, the, as we... The session, as Paul mentioned, 2010, all right, church without walls. We're connecting in Jesus no matter our differences. We're serving the world like Jesus no matter the cost. And we're celebrating Jesus no matter the circumstances. And we've been moving through that that Paul captured and said, all right, yeah, but you know, it, it, your legs are broken. And we, we, did the regen- we, we moved into a denomination that's helping us with this purpose. That's saying, hey, this is home for us. This is really what we're about. And now we had a regeneration of the building. And we're finishing those things um, up. And now we said we need a regeneration of the church, which is us. Uh, and um, that includes and is pointed at me. That's why I make the big bucks. <laughs> That's why I'm here. So my eye senses, let's, yeah, this is the prescription. And, you know, let's move into it. We'll find our ways. The spirit leads and in the personality that he's given to us so that we will be fully healthy body that's growing in every way okay thank you would mm-hmm. you stand here kathy would you come up and stand with drew with the session members come up for we're going to close in prayer with the session members come up and i want you to stand behind kathy and drew and as we pray i want you to lay your hands on them don't forget tomorrow There will be the town meeting at 7 o'clock. You can come and ask everything. I'm going to ask you all to stand, if you would stand. And if what you've heard today and what you've heard your pastor say resonates with you, as I pray, I'm going to ask you to hold your hands out toward them to show your identification with your leaders. Our gracious God, thank you for all that you have done for us through Jesus Christ. All of us are here today because of your grace. Thank you for allowing us not only to have a relationship with you, but to be part of your body through that relationship. And thank you for giving us this awesome task 
to be your body, the body of Jesus on earth, that we might do what Jesus did, which is to seek and to save those who are lost. May College Hill Presbyterian Church know your blessing because the people here have said, we want to obey you, we want to serve you, we'll do what's difficult, we'll make the changes that are needed. May your spirit then blow across this congregation and may they see many in this community come to know you and may they see many of those people who come to know you become an integral part of this body for their sake, but ultimately for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Okay, thanks, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Lead us there in unity to sing the song of your salvation to win this generation for our King. The song of your forgiveness for it is with grace that river us to the river in the city of our God.